listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. It felt like a, a long hallway. We were walking to an apartment, and as we walked into that apartment, we were told and encouraged to remain silent. And as the door opened, I noticed how simple the apartment was. I noticed how clean it was. And I noticed how how quiet everyone was as they waited. And as we took our seats, we began to sing quietly together. And after the singing, we listened to a sermon by a pastor. This happened in 2018 in Turkey. And I went to Turkey on a mission trip with two other pastors from Sojourn Midtown. Here's a picture of two of the pastors that we went to serve. And while we were at this house church, uh, we met these two men. The one on the left is the lead pastor. And um, he uh, planted this church about three years prior, had been in Turkey for about seven years before that. Turkey uh, has about 0.3% of the population uh, saying that they are Christians. The man on the right was a long-term missionary who had given his life to spreading the gospel in Turkey. He had been there 20 plus years. And shortly after we had left Turkey, I received a call that upon uh, taking a trip outside of Turkey uh, to visit family, hoping to come uh, back into the country that he had lived for a very long time, He was denied access, unable to enter the country, unable to go and to get his belongings as it had been determined that he was a threat to the country because of his beliefs. What I just described is the norm for most Christians across the globe. Most meet in secret, and if not in secret, they are facing the possibility of social diminishment for what they believe, and at worst, they're facing severe persecution. First Peter is written by the Apostle Peter from Rome to Gentile Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Christians who were living as exiles in the world because of their beliefs. These Christians needed encouragement because they were suffering immense persecution. But Peter has an interesting word for them in chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. In the context, Peter is encouraging them to not be surprised by the fiery uh, trials that they uh, may face. And then in verse 15, he says these words, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having the name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And I'm sorry, that was chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. So Peter is encouraging the church as he is writing um, to remember as they suffer that judgment will begin in the household of God. It will begin 
in the church. And as Peter is preparing the church to suffer well, he wants them uh, to uh, live amongst themselves in relationship in a way that will glorify God and amplify their witness among the lost. See, a healthy church is a, a church that has healthy relationships, and those healthy relationships are healthy because the leader set a healthy standard of, of what it means to be a Christian and also what it means to relate well. Today in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is going to emphasize health amongst the body. And as we continue in your series entitled Assembling the Church, I want to talk about the bond between Christ's shepherds and a sheep. And we want to look at the importance of healthy relationships between shepherds, pastors, elders, overseers. That's all the same thing. It's used synonymously in the New Testament. It's an office, one of two offices of the church, a pastor, an elder, and deacons. And we want to look at what it looks like to have a a healthy relationship between pastors and people. In verse 5 of this text, we see the key to it all. As Peter writes these words, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I humbly want to present uh, to you uh, just this theme that Christ-like humility is the super glue that bonds pastors and God's people together. Christ-like humility is the super glue that bonds pastors and God's people together. And my charge, my quick encouragement to you here at Citizens is to put on humility for the glory of Christ in Birmingham, Alabama to clothe yourselves with it. For it is a superglue that bonds pastors and people together. There's two simple movements in today's sermon. The first is this, God's plea to pastors, which is to shepherd humbly. And the second is God's plea to his people, which is to submit humbly. First, God's plead to pastor, shepherd humbly. Look at your Bibles, chapter five, verse one through four, or look on the screen. Notice what Peter says and notice how he starts it. In the CSB uh, translation, he starts by saying, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I exhort, I exhort, I plead, I urge, I beg, I beg the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter, as he is writing this, he turns his attention to the elders for a minute and he's saying, I am begging you to do something. And what is he begging them to do? We see in verse two, to shepherd God's flock among you. And in the rest of the verses, we'll see that what he is calling them to do is to shepherd God's flock with humility for the superglue that will bring and hold the church together. Now, Peter's going to make this argument by modeling humility for the people. And the way that he's going to model humility is is, is quite amazing. In the text, he says, as a fellow elder. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, that's not how Peter introduces himself to those who are in 
uh, diaspora. He starts the letter by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, he doesn't drop his apostolic office. He drops his apostolic office for a minute in order to um, have a heart-to-heart moment with them. And he says, listen, I'm a fellow elder. Yes, I'm an apostle, but I am a fellow elder. I am one of you. I need you to hear me if our churches are going to reach this pagan world around us, we have to shepherd God's people with humility. But then what he says next is even more stunning and an even greater example of humility. He goes on to say, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. Witness. Witness to the sufferings of Christ. That's that's interesting coming from Peter. Peter, the uh, apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He he doesn't say as a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what you would expect him to say. But rather, Peter says as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. This is Peter leading with his weak foot forward. Hmm. Uh, This is Peter modeling humility. Yes, I'm an apostle, but I'm a fellow elder. I'm just like you. And I was a witness to his sufferings. I wasn't the best witness. If you know my story, you'll know that I was a little overconfident at one point. I was with the disciples. I always felt like I had to be the first to speak up. And I was a leader. I was a great leader. And Jesus told me, hey, Leading forward, you're going to be a great leader, but man, I made some mistakes. And while Christ was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane and betrayed with a kiss just before that, we had a conversation, and the conversation went something like this. Peter, Satan has come to me, and he has asked me for you. He wants to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And I told Jesus, I said, Jesus, this is the Jamal Standard Version. Uh, I hear you, but you really don't know what you're talking about. See, all these other disciples, they will leave you, but I'll never leave you, leave you. And then Jesus told Peter that before the rooster crowed three times, that he would deny him three times. Before the rooster crowed, that he would deny him three times. And Peter here to model humility points back to a dark point of his life where he betrayed Jesus Christ after confidently telling him that he would never leave him. And as he's pointing and and shepherding these elders to love their flock, he is reminding them that they don't have to do it from a place of perfection because they're people. (laughs) But they do it as those who have received the grace of God and who are daily feasting on the grace of God, knowing that the only reason that they are who they are and where they are is because they are grace cases. He models for them what humility looks like. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I am a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. And he does it with such humility. I don't know if you've uh, watched the show. It seems to be going around. In fact, I think that it's getting a little cultish, but I'm a part of the cult, I guess. Uh, Ted Lasso. 
I cannot recommend it to you as a pastor, especially on a Sunday, but it is entertaining, um, and so you can watch with discernment. Uh, but uh, one thing I like about uh, Ted Lasso, if you haven't watched it, he is a, a coach, a football coach. He, I believe, coached high school and had some uh, some victories uh, there. And uh, there's a, a football team in England who hires him to uh, coach soccer. Um, so he coaches American football and he's called to coach uh, soccer in England. And the reason that he's called to do that is because the uh, person who runs the club wants him to fail. And so uh, there's just a great scene early on in the show where uh, he is having his opening interview and is met by cameras and cynics who are looking at his resume saying, there's no way that you should be coaching soccer at this level. And what I love about that scene is uh, that as people ask him questions and uh, they are starting to make fun of him, Rather than go outside of who he is and to try to prove himself, he embraces his weakness. He stays human size. He is able to joke on himself, to receive the criticism, and then to confidently reassure them that though he may not know about soccer, he knows about leading men. And it's this interesting picture of what humility is. Humility is is staying human size. It's, It's literally embracing a posture of lowliness. It's accepting the fact that we are decorated dust. Humility, as C.S. Lewis said, is not thinking less of yourself, but it is learning to think of yourself less. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 uh, through 4. He says, do not think more highly or uh, significant of yourself than you ought. He calls the church at Philippi to put other people before themselves. And that's humility. It's understanding that we are not the center of the universe. And if we were the center of the universe, it's believing deep down in our hearts that the universe would be in trouble. Let's look at Peter's specific encouragement to the elders and what it looks like to embrace humility as it is the super glue to relationships in the church. Look at your Bible. Peter says, humility looks like shepherding God's flock among you. Among you. What does pastoring with humility look like? It looks like as pastors and shepherds uh, guarding our hearts against anything that would distract us from shepherding the flock that the Lord has entrusted to us. Charles Edward Jefferson, who pastored nearly four decades in New York City, wrote this more than, two, more than 100 years ago. Listen to this. He wrote, shepherding is the work for which humanity is crying. The 20th century is the century of the shepherd. The relation of the minister to the parish is now too often that of a platform speaker to an audience, of an engineer to a machine, and not that of a friend to the company of friends. If the minister is simply a Sunday lecturer, he can leave town any day 
and no one will be sadder. If he is only a public reformer, he can depart at the end of the week and and many persons will be glad. If he is an expert in managing organizations, his place can easily be filled by another. Engineers are abundant. If he is a shepherd, if he knows his sheep by name, and if his sheep know his voice, he cannot pass from one fold to another without great loneliness and heaviness of spirit and without deep wounds in the hearts of those he leaves behind. If the church of Christ is to be saved, she must be born again into the glory of the shepherd idea. And I just want to encourage you all here, and Pastor Justin has not paid me to say this, but I believe that the Lord has blessed you with a shepherd who wants to shepherd the sheep that is among him. I believe that the Lord has blessed you with Pastor Clay and Pastor John. I got to hang out with them this weekend. I get to travel um, a little bit and visit uh, churches in the Harbor Network, and I'm often encouraged, but I have been filled in the last two days sitting with these men, seeing them smile, and, and, and Charlie, your, your worship director, and, and them just talk about you all by name, talking about how they're praying for you all, about how they're constantly strategizing to, to think through how to, to care for God's flock. And not one time did I hear them uh, nervously talk about the people who are not here or, or growing to be some mega church or mega size. It was about going deeper in Jesus, having authentic relationships and reaching the lost. Peter is encouraging these shepherds. He is pleading with them. And God is pleading through him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As he writes this letter, he's saying, shepherd the sheep among you. And then he gives them three quick encouragements and three warnings of what not to do. And he essentially says, do not shepherd with compulsion. Do not shepherd with uh, greed or cash. Do not shepherd in a way that is controlling. And it's an encouragement. And when you have pastors and when you're a part of a church and you have leaders who are not pastoring with compulsion and not uh, pastoring to to, uh, fatten their uh, uh, pockets with greed or cash and who are not pastoring in a way that is, is overbearing and controlling, you submit to them in a way that brings them joy. Let's talk about compulsion. He goes on and he writes, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion. What does that mean? That means not pastoring begrudgingly. Constantly cultivating a heart that is saying, I want to, I get to, not I have to. By God's grace, I get to serve him in this this way. I get to serve him out of his love for me. It's amazing that when Peter was restored and Jesus came back to him at the end of John, that Jesus asked him a peculiar question, Peter, do you love me? 
And you know the story. Three times Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then once as he was asked the question, Peter, do you love me? Peter finally gives up the last time and says, Lord, you know all things. In other words, listen, I've been overconfident before. You know if I love you or not. But Jesus tells Peter three times to simply to feed my sheep. Out of the love by which you love me and I have loved you, shepherd my sheep. It's a discipline as a pastor that we all must have and that I've tried to implement in my life. And it's a reminder that I don't have to preach on Sunday. I get to preach about Jesus on Sunday. I don't have to visit someone in the hospital. I get to visit someone in the hospital. As a servant of Christ, I humbly get to represent him through my weakness and in my brokenness so that he can be exalted. Peter moves from talking about begrudging service to addressing greed. He encourages those who are uh, shepherding to not shepherd out of greed for money, but eagerly. A humble shepherd who has been redeemed by Jesus, like all disciples, knows that this world is not their own. So they guard their hearts against greed and self-interest. They heed all of Jesus' warning about serving mammon as God. They heed all the warnings about pastors in the pastoral epistles. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says that an elder must not be a lover of money. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says that false teachers are lovers of money. Titus chapter 1, verse 7 says that an overseer must not be greedy for gain. Acts chapter 20, verse 33, as Paul is leaving Ephesus, He says that true gospel service covets no one's silver or gold or apparel. America's foremost prophet, Martin Luther King Jr., in his work, The Birth of a New Age, got it right when he said, we need leaders not in love with money, but in love with justice. Not in love with publicity, but in love with humanity. Leaders who can subject their particular egos to the pressing urgencies of the great cause of freedom. In a time like this, demands great leaders. The same is true today as it was true in first century Turkey that we need leaders like this. Peter continues to warn, not just about begrudging service and greed, but also about control or power. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. There's a way to lead and to shepherd that quite honestly is is sick. It's leading and shepherding God's people in a way that is intimidating rather than inviting. Intimidation is never healthy. The person who has to intimidate someone else to get them to do what they want or manipulate is a person who is not leading well. It's a person who is not resting in the way that God has gifted them. And Peter is warning. I love the Bible, y'all. I love the Bible because the Bible lays out for us a blueprint for, for what health looks like. 
And he says it's, it's, it's pastoring and shepherding, this picture of a shepherd, this Agarian picture, this, this calling, this nurturing, this leading to, to greener pastures, this, this gritty work. It's done gently. A shepherd knows his sheep and he leads his sheep through relationship. And he understands that each sheep even have different personalities and they need to be encouraged in, in different ways. But he does this not through intimidation, but rather through inspiration, through inviting by pointing people to the grace of God, by pointing people to the chief shepherd who is Jesus, who did not lead with intimidation, but with invitation, who came preaching, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, who came saying that a bruised reed I will not break and a smoldering wick I will not put out who looked at a woman who was caught in sin and adultery and who was about to be stoned because of her waywardness and who decided to doodle in the sand while everyone else was intimidating her. And he invited her into another way, saying, daughter, look around you. Who here condemns you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. In this text, Peter shows us how inviting Jesus is after he's going to challenge pastors and people. He's going to say, listen, y'all, the key to, to living out this life as a Christian and walking with humility together, the key to this super bond and, and super glue is both pastor and people casting their cares upon Jesus. Because he cares for you. And I'm so thankful to have a friend in Pastor Justin and my new friends who lead through intimidation and, and weakness, who lead with their weak foot forward like Jesus, pointing us to the chief shepherd saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Citizens Church is a church for the over church and the under church. Citizens Church is a church for people to come and to receive good news, not good advice. Good advice can be good advice, but good advice can weigh you down. Hey, bro, here's some good advice. Work out seven days a week and you'll look like me. I'm like, eh, that is good advice, but it don't feel like good advice. I got five kids at a job. I can't do seven days a week. But good news is that Christ has done the work for you. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say that can make him love you more. His, God's love for you in Christ Jesus is complete. As Peter pleads to the pastors to shepherd rightly, to shepherd well with humility, the questions must be asked, how do pastors cultivate a heart that is willing, eager, and, and a positive example for the flock, as the text says? And Peter shows us really quickly how they do that. Verse 4. 
He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a unfading crown of glory. An unfading crown of glory. And I just want to encourage Pastor Clay and Pastor John, as you've been installed today, just to, to keep your eyes on the chief shepherd. We had a great talk yesterday, and I told you all after doing this for a, a long time that, man, this is pastoring. It really doesn't get easier. You go through ups, you go through downs. Sometimes you're on a mountaintop, just like a shepherd when they were leading sheep uh, to, to greener pastures as seasons change so that they can continue to be fed. The truth is, it's up and it's down, but the way to make it to the end to fulfill your call in the Lord is to keep your eyes on a chief shepherd. There's a shepherd that is a few hundred yards before you that is leading the way. In fact, there's a shepherd that is beside you, that is around you, that is within you, that is leading the way. And it's to remember that when this shepherd comes in his nail-pierced hands, there is going to be a, a unique gift for you. And the text says that it is an unfading crown of glory. <laughs> for all the late nights, for all the times you pray for someone who just wouldn't take your, your pleading for all the hospital visits, for all the times you were put in a situation of of feeling like you had to decide in that moment between uh, the good things and and the best things, for for all the times of being misunderstood, for all the times you had to take a deep breath and say something hard to someone that you weren't looking forward to say because you loved them. Jesus, your chief shepherd one day will come with a crown of glory. And I love what the text says. It says it is unfading. The Romans and the Greeks, they were used to seeing wreaths given after Olympics. And this wreath would, would fade. It would, it would die off. It would be a, a memory. I once ran a race and I won and I received this crown. And it's not as kept as it used to be, but look at it. What Jesus has prepared for you is unfading. Finally, Peter makes a plea to God's people, and that is to, to submit humbly. In verse 5, Peter's attention changes from pastors to people, but the subject does not change. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, there's debate around whether elders here in this verse refers to the office of elders or those who are older in age. And while a case can be made for both, given the context, I believe that, that Peter is still speaking of the office of the elder. In the New Testament, older people generally did not have governing authority in churches simply because of their age. The Bible, often when it speaks of elders, speaking of the office of elder. And the question must be asked then, then why does Peter speak only to younger folk and not the whole church when commanding submission to elders. It's likely that in making this address to those who were in the church, that he was talking to those who were most often independent. 
uh, those who uh, would uh, most likely uh, uh, seek uh, not to be interdependent uh, with others. And so he is just given a very specific, a very specific call to those who are younger, to those perhaps who have never had a, a pastor lead them. And he is encouraging them to submit to the leadership of their pastors. Just as the word to, from Peter to the church about submitting to elders was important to the church then, I believe that it is equally important now. And by submission, Peter simply means to have a, a willingness to support or to follow the elders' direction. And the only time that a, a Christian should not support or to follow uh, the elders' direction in the way that they are taking the church is if the elder is, is leading them to sin. Yesterday, we were driving to a park here in Louisville, and I was leading the way, and Pastor Jesse was following me. And uh, I was doing pretty good until we reached a light, and the GPS told me that uh, I was going to make a right uh, soon. And because I was talking to my wife, I just assumed that he meant, like, right away, and I made a right. And my wife said, you're supposed to go past the light and then make a right. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I was supposed to make a right now. She was like, okay. And then GPS was like, started doing a refiguring. <laughs> and I looked out my window and I said, I wonder if Pastor Jesse is going to follow me knowing that I just made the wrong turn. And he didn't. <laughs> he kept going and he beat us to the park. <laughs> As God's people, we don't follow our elders into heresy or into sin. We follow them as they follow Jesus. I've seen something throughout the nation. I've seen a lot of churches divide over non-essential things like, like politics, and all of a sudden, and I've talked to a lot of weary pastors who are like, I've got this camp in my church who wants me to press on this issue, and they think that this, uh, uh, pol- this specific issue is all that there is to the kingdom of God. And I've got this particular person who's pressing the opposite way. And there's so much division in my church. And people are mad at me because I'm not speaking specifically for one candidate or another, but I'm just preaching Jesus and trying to bring us together around what matters most. Let it be said of Citizens Church that we keep the main thing the main thing. And that we follow our pastors as they follow Jesus. Three years ago, Forbes magazine published an article with an infographic entitled America's Most and Least Trusted Professors. The article listed 15 of the most public professions and ranked them in terms of what uh, people thought of them regarding honesty and ethical standards. Unfortunately, the clergy was ranked right at the middle of the pack, just above journalists. And as America becomes more of a post-Christian nation, for lack of a, a better term, how, crash, how Christian pastors are viewed will become increasingly negative. I predict that pastors will eventually be persecuted along with all faithful Christians, but that there will be years of social diminishment where pastors will be seen as the scum of the earth. And my encouragement as I close the Citizens Church is to be a refuge for your pastors. 
to reject the world's view of, of shepherds that, that says that they're silly, that they're clowns, that they don't know what they're talking about, that they're not spiritual uh, leaders, that they're supposed to be uh, politicians or omni-competent or, or omnipresent. And to take on this picture of what the Bible says between God's people and God's pastors, to humbly follow these men of character who have calling and competency, who are serving you not out of compulsion, not for cash, not to be seen, not to be known, but to present you as holy before the throne of God. Honor these men. Honor their wives. Love them. Give them joy as they serve you. Tell them thank you. Help to take the load off of them whenever you can. And if you disagree with them about something, disagree well while honoring them and pray, Lord, help me to see what they see so that I can continue to follow. Hebrews 13, 17 says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that will be unprofitable to you. As we close, look at this text, how Peter's going to close this out. He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see this about humility? Humility is both vertical and horizontal. Humility is to be practiced amongst one another, and it's also to be practiced towards God. Clothe yourselves with humility toward each other, counting each other as more significant than yourselves, as Paul would say in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, make yourselves low, remain human size. Don't be a legend in your own mind. Reject this notion and make your life all about you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, notice what he says here. So that he may exalt you at the proper time. When we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, his hand protects us. His hand nourishes us. When we choose pride instead of humility, out of love, it slowly begins to crush us. not out of judgment or condemnation, because through the gospel, you are free, you are forgiven, there is no condemnation, but out of discipline as a father disciplines his child to get them to respond to his love. Cast your cares on him because he cares about you. Humility is a super glue between God's pastor and God's people. And what helps that super glue to work, what keeps us going, is when 
both the pastor and the people's focus is on Jesus. If you, as God's people, are abiding in Christ, you come to your pastors not needing them to fix you, but rather to encourage you. If we don't abide in Jesus, that's why I love that y'all are doing this Bible reading plan. If we don't abide in Jesus and we come to our pastors to fix us, to do what only Jesus can do, we come with an anxious presence, with expectations that no one else but Jesus can meet, and we leave disappointed. But when we are learning to cast our cares on Jesus, and we are taking time to pray, to fast, to think through the scriptures, to model our life after the way that Jesus lived. When we come to our pastors and uh, because we need encouragement or we need direction, we don't come to them as the person who's going to fix us, but we come to them knowing that they're just going to keep us moving forward towards Jesus. Pride manifests itself in two ways. The first way is self-pity. The second way is the self-confidence to an extreme. And the answer to our pride or the self-pity or this extreme self-confidence is the same. So the person that is dealing with self-pity who beats up themselves because they think that they should be perfect or better, who's really trying to strive and to earn their salvation or to earn significance or importance from others, the answer for your soul is simply Christ died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He loves you. There's nothing, you can't work your way to him. He sings over you. He sings over you. He was resurrected for the dead for you. You matter to him. You matter to him. He saved you and he left you gifts for the body. And he doesn't love this future version of you. He loves you right now as you are in Christ Jesus. And for the person who struggles, we all have our struggles with self confidence and arrogance, the message is for you is Christ had to die for you. (laughs) Without Jesus, you have no hope. You are dust. God's mighty hand can crush you like that and it's all over. You did not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It was all grace. And if it's all grace, how can anyone boast? Look to Jesus, your chief shepherd, and embrace him as Lord. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.